You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 61 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I am okay, thanks, Just Al. okay? Why just, just okay. okay? Oh, well, I'm psyching myself up for the Sydney Writers' Festival oh, this yes. week and, you know, just starting to stress that I won't get my colour copies done in time and... Oh. Because you tend to focus on the small details and stress about those well, because... The larger thing is too big to stress about. Will it stress you out more to let you know that I'm going to sneak in and watch you and heckle from the back? Yes. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Probably would have been better if you'd pulled out a sneak attack, Val. Yeah, but now you've got all of that, you know, dread to look forward to. Oh, so much dread. No, it'll be, look, it'll be great. I'll be absolutely awesomely fun when I get there. Yes, it's great. You'll be, you'll the, have more. Um, you know, the, the anticipation of anything like that I think is, is big. Yes. It's big, Val. It's big. It is big because you're up there with some pretty big names, I have to say. I know. I'll be rubbing shoulders yeah. with all the big names. I know. It's exactly. going to be hilarious. I'm very much – you know what I'm really looking forward to? What? I'm very much looking – I mean, I'm looking forward to all of it, obviously, because I'm very excited about the whole thing. But I'm really looking forward to Sunday, on the, the Children's Day, because mm. that's – you know, that's kind of like it's all the kids and all the kids' authors and um, my boys are coming up and they're so excited. And yeah. so it's it's like, you know, for me that will be sort of like, yes, I think I'll be among my among my, among my tribe, my people. Wonderful. <laughs> on Sunday. Well, yeah, it's good. such a gorgeous spot and it's really gorgeous weather in Sydney at the moment. Hopefully it holds up. So mm. there's lots of people who are coming in from interstate and intrastate because obviously it's a huge event and um, there's going to be a lot of aspiring writers but also a lot of readers at the festival. So it will be fun. Mm. Lots of lots of um, lots of stuff happening, and it's probably an opportune opportune time to uh, mention that our course in how to pitch to agents and publishers is almost ready, and there's going to be a very special uh, offer to those people who sign up as you know to register their interest. And this offer will not be repeated. So mm-hmm. if you want to do that, sign up to writerscentre.com.au/agent. And um, you'll be the first to know when the course is launched. It's an awesome course by Natasha Lester, who has just sold her third book. It's going to be huge. Mm. And um, she talks you through every single step on a practical level through a series of videos and, you know, useful handouts, how to actually pitch your story to an agent or publisher. Hmm. So I think a lot of people who are going to the Writers' Festival are going to be interested in that as well. Most definitely. But let's have a look at what's been happening in the world of writing and blogging and publishing this week, apart from the Sydney Writers' Festival. I thought I would share a link, which I just thought was really 
cute and interesting because um, it was on Inquisitor mm-hmm. and it's a story about a couple of uh, women in America, Lizzie and Katie, who signed up to a writing class in New York City and Lizzie was sitting in the writing class, um, well no, Katie was sitting in the writing class and then Lizzie bolted in. She barely made the class, she'd only signed up minutes before it began so she could have easily missed out. She only signed up just before and she introduced herself and as she introduced herself, Katie was listening and thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds too bizarre to be true because everything Lizzie was saying about herself and the fact that she was adopted and many other things, you know, the penny dropped for Katie and Katie realised, oh, my God, this is my long-lost sister. (laughs) Wow. There you go. Writing classes can do amazing things. But, you know, the funny thing about that is if you wrote that in a novel, people would say it was too far-fetched. Exactly. Truth is stranger than fiction for sure and that's a perfect example. Fantastic. But you, you have a link uh, about loneliness. Is I right? do have a link about loneliness. It's a very interesting little piece. Um, it was on the HuffPost Books uh, page, mm. and it's called Balancing the Loneliness of the Writing Life. Mm. And it starts out with a quote from Sarah Paretsky, who is the author of the V.I. Wachowski uh Detective series, oh, yes. if anyone's read those, which I really liked. You would have liked those, wouldn't you? They're about accounting. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Why would I like it just because it's well, about accounting? you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, so the quote from Sarah is this, the best thing about writing is you get to explore a thousand different personalities all by going deep into your own soul. The worst thing, you have to be alone to write. Mm. Being alone is very painful, an unsolvable conundrum. And Ernest Hemingway also was quoted as saying, writing at its best is a lonely life. So I found this quite an interesting little um, little piece. And I just I sort of like beg the question for me, do you ever get lonely, Val, as a writer? Well, no. <laughs> and I think that stems from the fact that I'm an only child. So I've spent many, 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 many years by myself and not thinking anything of it. It was just mm. the, it was just my existence. It was just the way I don't know any different. Mm. Um, so I don't, you sh- I yeah, don't really get lonely. Mm. Um, I will say that sometimes you feel the need to talk to some humans. Mm. Um, and you know, I used to go out, make a point to go out to cafes and that sort of thing. But ever since social media came about, mm-hmm. that compulsion becomes even less and less because you can talk to humans if you really wanted to, if you know what I mean. How about you? Do you feel lonely? Well, no, I mean, I like being alone. I mean, mm. I, I'm actually the oldest of four children mm-hmm. and I suspect that my, you know, joy of being alone stems from the fact that I just was never alone. Right, As yeah. a kid, there was just always surrounded. Um, so, yeah, I actually really quite like my own company. So I think I'm you know, good as far as a writer goes, as far as that's concerned. And as you say, social media does take the place of the water cooler and the, the, you know, I mean, I like my day-to-day coffee chat, you know, with somebody in the morning and stuff like that. Yes. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm good to go. I like to be in my house, dead silent, everything's mm. fine. The only time I would say that I feel the loneliness of that, of my, you know, lifestyle mm. is Christmas because <laughs> Well, only because everyone's going to parties. Like everyone goes to work Christmas parties and I don't have one. Like it's kind of, you know, me and Procrasti Pop wearing party hats is not quite, 
you know, what you have in mind. So there are there have been times, not all the time, but there have been times, you know, over the last few years around Christmas where I've just been like, oh, I just really need a friend. You but, know? you like, know, at, at that time, though, there are an increasing number of freelancer Christmas parties these days. Freelancer offers Christmas parties because they don't have one, so a bunch of freelancers will just get together purely as an excuse to have a Christmas party. So maybe you should do that this year. Mm, maybe. I don't know. That's not really me. I, I would find, find I would feel like it was a little bit like, here we are having fun just because we have to. Oh, don't, don't be silly. Well, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, put it that way. But look, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And like she, the, in the article, um, Kristen Horton, who wrote the piece, talks about the fact that many authors have, you know, self-medicated against their loneliness. And if you Google... Mm you know, or famous authors and alcohol, there's a fairly um, strong connection. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. But, yes, fortunately my my addiction is, is only coffee. So, you know, I, I think we're all right for the time being. But, yeah, it's an interesting question anyway. Well, it's good that we probably both chose the right profession or a profession that suited us because mm. we both don't really feel, you know, have any problem being alone. But no. if we were alone, one thing that we could do is procrastinate surf. Oh, yes. Yes. So not all of us have a procrasty pup, but we can easily (laughs) get into the procrasty zone, which sometimes you have to do after you've finished editing. I I do. When after I've finished editing a massive piece, like 10,000 words or something, I can't continue (laughs) editing that another 10,000 words till I have a bit of a break. And, um, you know, if it's not the right time, if the cafe's already closed or whatever, I might just procrastinate surf. And so what we did, uh, Dean from our office actually wrote a post on the Australian Writer Centre blog called Five Websites to Visit Instead of Writing. (laughs) So... There's lots of <laughs> hours of entertainment here, so you've got to, fun to be discipline yourself. There's stuff like stunning writing studios, so you can, you know, surf that website and look at all these studios that do not resemble the one that you have. There are cool bookshops around the world. If you're so inclined, there are strange and unusual baby names, which include, you know, it's a, it's a curated list of author-inspired names, fruit names. Geographic place names. That's my kind of place. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. That's my kind of place. If you're musically inclined, there are number one Australian, UK and US songs on any date. So, you know, you can pick your birthday and find out who was number one on the charts on on the day that you were born. And there are picture quizzes in case you're sick of all those words. You, you can, you know, do some picture quizzes. But we'll put the link in the show notes. But that's certainly something that you can do uh, if you're looking to procrastinate surf. So my question to you is what's your go-to site to procrastinate surf or types of sites to procrastinate surf? I go to Pinterest. What, what, Pinterest you mean your I, Pinterest feed? I just go to my Pinterest feed and I follow my Pinterest feed into the you know, the outer reaches of the universe because really? that seems to be where it takes me. And I go through and I happily pin and I'm pinning everything from soothing pictures of bathrooms. I have to say that um, the Writer's Centre does have an excellent Pinterest board of uh, amazing writing spaces. So, yes. you know, if you get sick of the ones that are on the one that we've put in the blog, you should just follow our Pinterest board mm. because that's me pinning away, loving, because I love pictures of writer's spaces. Yes. And so I'll follow those. Um, there's always a wealth of writing information to be had. Um, if I'm so inclined, I can, you know, find authors and have a look at what they're doing on their Pinterest boards. I go to Pinterest. It is my actual, I procrastinate pin. There you go. Mm, there you go. What do you do? Where do you go? Um, I'm a bit 
boring. <laughs> I no. go to news sites and see what's happening <laughs> in the world and, you know, that sort of thing. I'll go to Spotify and uh, play some new songs to, you know, try and motivate myself. So, mm. yeah, yeah, not quite as much Pinterest. I do dip into Pinterest from time to time and I do like looking at the same thing as you, soothing pictures of bathrooms and stunning writers' studios <laughs> as well. So quite similar on that front. <laughs> but let us move on then to our writing craft book this week. And it's very timely because rest in peace, William Zinsa died in, at his home in Manhattan last week at the age of 92. And of course, he wrote the classic book, uh, which is wonderful, called On Writing Well, The Classic Guide to Writing Nonfiction. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book and I thought it was appropriate to pay homage to uh, William Zinsa because that book has been on the shelf of many, many writers I know. And, well, uh, that's your go-to book, isn't it? Because, I mean, every mm. time we get asked, wherever we may be, when we, you know, do our double act in other places, <laughs> you know, our favourite writing books, that is the one that you pull out every time. It is. It is the one. And so. what, is the, what is it about that book that you like so much? I think, number one, um, it's not just about writing generally because writing is very broad, right? Mm. I like the fact that it is about writing non-fiction mm. because that's the thing that I really love and get passionate about as well. And... And it's just full of really useful ideas and tips. And there's a blog post actually on Open Culture. And what they've done is uh, compiled just 10 tips. And they, they range from, you know, simple things to don't make lazy word choices <clears throat> and, you know, avoid jargon to just some pithy insights like writing is hard work. <laughs> you know, a, yes. a, a clear sentence is no accident. Sometimes yes. you have to write it the first time and then the second time and then the third time. So, and a quote from the book is, if you find that writing is hard, it's because it is hard. And it mm. certainly can be. So, you know, mm. um, and one thing I do like and I really believe in some advice that Zinsa says is study the masters, but also your contemporaries. Mm. And I think that that's so important is to read not only, you know, the people who are considered the, the, the uh, you know, the icons in the writing industry ranging from Shakespeare right through to Hunter S. Thompson, but also what are the trends in writing at the moment? Because that helps you understand how to adapt your voice if you need to. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's full of lots of gems. What's your go-to writing book? Oh, you look, I, I come back to Stephen King's book oh, yes. on writing regularly because mm. I, I really enjoyed reading it. Yes. I mean, it's like anything, you know, it's, um, it's one of the few writing books I've ever read that I found like a, a page turner. Like mm. it's extraordinary. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I, I think he has an awful lot to say uh, that is, you know, useful for, for um, writers of fiction and nonfiction in many ways. He's mm. a very, very clever man. I really enjoy that. Um, I like Bird by Bird by oh, Anne yes. Lamott. Yes. And I often think, you know, Bird by Bird, I think is some of the best advice that you can give anyone who's undertaking a writing project because I think if you sit down and think, oh, my God, I've got to write a novel, then, you know, you can be easily overwhelmed by that. Mm. But bird by bird, you know, one chunk at a time, yeah. 500 words a day, whatever kind of, you know, whatever your word count is, it's like, you know, eating the elephant one bite at a time. Yes. Um, 
so I really like that. So yeah, and Kate Grenville also wrote a terrific book on writing, an Australian book, the writing book. Yes. And um, that was one of the first books, uh, you know, writing craft books that I ever read um, a long time ago. Yes. And that remains on my shelf as well. So yeah, I have a few. I, I just like to have them handy. Yeah. yeah. Like old friends. Like old friends. When I get lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to something quite different. A question came up in our graduate groups this week about images and where mm. people can get free images for their blogs. Hmm. So I believe you have a great answer for that. I do have a great answer for that because in a very timely fashion, I came across on the blog Maxabella Loves, which um, regular readers may know is actually written by my sister, um, is a book, uh, sorry, a post called Nice Places to Find Free Images for Your Blog. Mm. It's no more straightforward than that. And she's given us 10 sites um, searchable image libraries that people can use where they can get free images to use on their websites. And they're great shots. They're not they the kind of standard shots. boring um, because she has a terrific eye for photography. She now mm. takes most of her own photos, but um, she has always had a great eye for photo- photography. And so um, you will find that this is an extremely useful post if you are um a blogger looking for images. It is extremely useful because out of all of these, I have heard only of one of them. I only subscribed to one of them. So now I have like nine more to pick from. That's fantastic. I know. I know. And it's, they look, you know, like it's a, a really great selection great of images. different, yeah, of different sort of styles of images. And, and they're the kind of images that you see on other people's blogs and go, oh, how did they do that? Mm. <laughs> well, I do anyway, because that's just how I work. But anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, so that I thought that might be a very useful link for people. It's on maxabellaloves.com.au and it's called Nice Places to Find Free Images for Your Blog. Love it. Mm. So who is our writer in residence this week? Well, speaking of nice places to find good images, yes. um, we are talking today to Pip Lincoln, who has got to be one of the you know, most creatively, beautifully looking, visually um, people that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, she has written a new book, um, which is called Craft for the Soul. And it's a beautiful thing about creativity. It's got craft projects in it, but there's a lot of great thoughts about, you know, finding your creativity and tapping into it. And um, so I very much enjoyed talking to Pip about her new book. Pip Lincoln is a Melbourne-based writer and crafter. She's published five books about creativity and making things, and she would like to write a whole bunch more, which would be awesome for all of us. She blogs at Meet Me at Mike's and has three kids and a love of toast and tea. Pip likes to make and write every single day. So hi, Pip, and thank you for fitting us into your busy making and writing schedule. Hello, Alison. Thank you for having me. (laughs) All right, let's start with background. How did you become a writer slash blogger and all-round crafty soul? How did this happen? Mm, Well, I grew up in a pretty uh, creative family, and by that I don't mean they're a family of artists, but they were a family of crafty DIYers. So Mm. my mum and my dad and my nan, they all had a really hands-on approach to getting stuff done, and I think I just picked up on their fantastic DIY attitude. So did you start with the, um, like, were you, like, taught to knit when you were five? And, I mean, have you just always been that person who's been able to do all those? Because you do actually do a lot of amazing things. (laughs) Well, I I was taught to knit when I was very little and then I promptly forgot and Ah. uh, I 
I can knit now, but I, I don't love knitting as much as I love crochet. Right. And I was not taught to crochet as a child, but I learned when I was a 39-year-old lady. So, Did you? you know, I think, yeah, I think it's more about um, attitude than skill level. I just assume that I'll be able to do most of those kind of crafty, creative things. Um, and so I have a crack and persevere until I can. So has craft always been your creative outlet? Like you've never sort of like taken to oil painting or suddenly, you know, has it, has it always been in that hands-on approach that you've always sort of expressed your creativity, I guess? Uh, it had that and writing. writing. So I've always, always been a writer and a journal keeper and a, you know, a, a reader, I guess, as well as um, love sewing and, and making things. So a bit of a combination of those things. All right. So when did you start your blog? Because you have your blog, Meet Me at Mike's, has been around for a while. It was You had a shop for a while. Was it attached to that? Is that when you started blogging? Exactly. So we had a shop. Um, which we have since closed, mm-hmm. hurrah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> back in 2006, <laughs> I know that sounded a little bit bitter. That was a little bit cheerful, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a whole other story to that. But uh, 2006, I started writing a blog and it was attached to the shop because I thought that gave me an interesting story to tell and, and it would sort of be ever-evolving and ever-changing. But it wasn't always really going to be about the shop um, I guess the shop kind of gave it a bit of a frontage, mm-hmm. uh, bricks and mortar presence, but really I just wanted to um, be published and, and so that seemed to be a great way to self-publish at the time. It's quite an interesting thing because I heard about you years ago. I am, and let's just get this out up front, I am a non-crafter. I am <laughs> absolutely, I have like, I don't know, 10 left thumbs when it comes to craft. I am absolutely hopeless. Um, and yet even as the non-crafter, I, I knew about you and your shop and obviously because of your blog and I've known about it for years and I find it interesting that um, I started, I think I started reading about you in magazines because, you know, they were writing about blogs to read and things like that and mm. I remember seeing all that sort of stuff and thinking, oh, that sounds interesting and I very much enjoyed your blog despite the fact that, you know, as we've discussed, my craft skills are zero. Um, so do you think that the blogging um was something that like that was an extraordinary way for you to reach out to people who even like me are non-crafters would you agree with that I think I do agree with that I think it was a bit of a perfect storm in terms of you know the timing was right and we did have a story about a shop to tell but there were so many other things to talk about as well so I think I don't know I guess it was about kind of putting our own personal culture uh, on the screen really for people. So, you know, if you read my blog, it wouldn't be reading about what we were selling. It would be reading about what we were doing and what we liked and what we, you know, were into at the time. So it was kind of a broader attitude, I suppose, to marketing the shop as well as mixing it all up with my absolutely crazy desire to write and have as many people read me as possible, I guess. (laughs) Find me. I'm (laughs) over here. (laughs) All right, so let's talk yes. about your let's talk about your latest book, which is called Craft for the Soul: How to Get the Most Out of Your Creative Life. Um, so, why did you write it? Like, you know, again, as a non-crafter, I sort of thought I was going to pick this book up and it was going to be softy and crochet patterns because it was a craft book. Yeah, but it's actually a really interesting and inspirational read about creativity and making in general I mean there are added pom-poms and craft projects let's point that out but is that creativity something that you think we're missing out on is that something that you're trying to get people to tap into 
Well, I guess um, it's kind of a funny story. I was speaking at Claire Bowditch's Big Hearted Business Conference, the very first one, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe when was that, three years ago? And I had to give a speech on the second day and I hadn't really written the speech. So I sort of sat through the whole conference listening to what everyone else had to say. And it just became really clear to me that people have real issues with creative confidence and and creative community, I guess. And um, so I wrote my speech at the last minute and it was about... I think 11 dot points about what I need to tell you about living a creative life, basically. Right. So I did that. Yeah, I presented that and then I went away and kind of thought, whoa, these are actually chapter titles for a book about how to live a creative life um, and ev- everyday creativity. So I then kind of set about um, filling in those um, dot points uh, on paper and um, just kind of typed it all into 750words.com which I think is a really fun um, writing platform which counts all your words and I wrote whatever 1500 words per dot point and then it was a book so it just sort of wow it, it kind of of course I wrote it but it also wrote itself in a way so I think because it was that's it why. was it's such a passionate personal project for you yeah. in many ways isn't it it's like this is what I need that's you to it. know so did you pitch the book before you – did you pitch, pitch the book to Penguin before you wrote the whole thing or did you write yeah. it first? Well, I'd sort of pitched a different book, truth oh. be told, um, and that book was called The Friendly Society and it was a similar book. It was about creativity and friendship and uh, making things but um, somehow Craft for the Soul took over really and I just – Got on with it, wrote it, and sent it off to um, Pippa Masson, my agent, and to Kirsten Abbott at Penguin. And they said, "Oh, it wasn't quite what we were expecting, but we absolutely love it. It's really life affirming and positive, and the perfect book for you to write." So, phew. <laughs> well, that's great. Because so was the Friendly Society when you were con- contemplating that book? Was that would, like were you imagining that there was going to be so much text, or were you thinking that it was going to be more project based, or? Um, it because... was always going to be a text-heavy book. Right. I think um, that was one one great thing about signing with Penguin was that Kirsten was like, we need more words from you because you, you can write and it's sort of a bit wasted in, you know, pin, pin yes. point A to point B. And yes, so, yes. You know, and so that's all fine. Like I love writing that stuff, but it's a different part of my brain that writes that stuff and I love writing a bit more creatively I guess so um, they were really excited to give me the chance to do that and thank goodness they did. Yes I think it's fantastic. Um, So let's just talk about pinpoint A to to point B for a moment because um, one of the things I would imagine like the instructional aspect of a craft book is quite a specific as you say you use a different part of your brain for that don't you it's quite a specific um, task is that just uh, you're writing down as you go, like as you're creating the project, you're writing down step by step what you're doing? Is that how you do that? Yeah, literally. Like you, you make it and take notes as you make it and then you rewrite those notes and then you go back through again and you rewrite it with, um, you know, more of a human voice. I get more, more of a chatty kind of tone <laughs> and then you test it from, you make it again from those instructions and then you revise and then you're good to go. So, so you don't give it to craft Luddites like myself to try <laughs> to see if you, know, no, I, you don't write I, it for the simplest I, possible person out there. Well, I do show my girlfriends, but they are a little bit kind of um, <laughs> craftily gifted, I guess. So. 
All right, you know what? I'm going to try one of these projects, Pip, and we're going to see just how good your instructions are. I'll let you know how I go. I'll choose something really easy. Maybe make a pom pom. Yeah, I think my, I think my eight year old can make a pom pom, so surely I can do that. Okay. Just <laughs> ring me into years at any time of the day or night. I'm here for you. So, how much input did you have um, into the design of the book, which is extremely beautiful and very friendly somehow? I, I, it's, it's such a you know such a friendly looking sort of thing. Did you were you involved in the discussions of what that was going to look like? Um, yes. Yeah, so they did quite a few different different mood boards for different ways that the book could look uh, and we chose the one that we liked the most which was the one we got kind of those pastely watercolour mm. tones with lots of pops of colour and then um, but that was that was it really because Autoland who are the design uh, firm that designed the book are just so good at what they do and I'm a big believer in not having to have huge amounts of creative control in the end. I think that making a book is a collaboration with your editor and your publisher and the yeah. designers so, and the photographer. So I really, I don't like to own the project too much because I think I might miss out on, um, you know, the great expertise that other, other professionals have. Yeah, yeah. So I try and be open about that. Um, i trying to think what it also, like I did, um, quite a few of the, all the animal collages in the book. I did those and some oh, of did. the, I was about to ask you who yeah, did those. and like the watercolor backgrounds I did. And then Kat McLeod, who works with Autoland, who's an amazing illustrator. She did a whole lot of watercolor illustrations that dot through the book as well. So that was, you know, just a nice thing to do together. Oh, it is lovely, isn't it? It's, it is very much like your team approach to craft, like find some friends and make a nice thing together. It's sort of, you've done that with your, yeah. with your publishing team. Which is awesome. Well, it's, yeah, like sometimes I think that you think you know exactly what this thing needs to look like and I, I think that uh, often other people have great ideas as well and that combination of everyone's great ideas makes something really special. So I love that. And what are you hoping sort of when you wrote the book um, and now that it's out there in the world and you're watching it fly, what are you hoping the book will do for people? What do you, I mean, it's, it's, it is very much an inspirational book. So what are you hoping that, that people will take from it? Well, I guess what I most wanted was to just, I don't know, I guess it's like a best friend in a book, really. So it, this book is not full of new, exciting strategies to make life better, but it is, um, it's full of reminders of, you know, the kinds of things that might make you feel uh, a bit more positive and happy as you approach each day. And, and it's a real, I don't know, it champions the idea of finding creative moments and nice moments in the everyday. So it's like a hug in a book, basically. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like your brand, isn't yeah. it? You're like a hug in a blog and a, a hug in Facebook. Oh, and <laughs> it's Pip you know, the I, Hug. I, teach, um, I, I do a lot of teaching, as I'm pretty sure you do, and yes. um, I teach people about creativity and about blogging. And it doesn't matter what you're teaching people. I just find that there's this overriding kind of feeling of, um, especially with women, that they're not quite supported in their mm. creative endeavours. And yep, I just yep. think that really it makes me so sad that, there are people out there who want to be creative and do creative things, but they just they don't feel encouraged by uh, the people around them. So I think, you know, this book is for those people, really. If, if the people in your life aren't encouraging you, I'm going to encourage you. So, <laughs> it will so. hug you and encourage you. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Because I think, wow, like you have one life. Why wouldn't you be doing the things that you most want to do, even if they're just little things like going for a walk or, you know, eating lots of chocolate biscuits? Gosh, do it. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you were saying that you've always been a writer. 
Um, how, how did you go about discovering your own voice? Because you do have a very distinctive voice. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I just know that um, once I started writing a blog, which was kind of a daily or almost daily writing practice, then I really wanted to improve my writing all the time. So I was always asking myself lots of questions about um, what I'd written and whether it was honest and whether it was how I would really speak. And uh, I guess, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that everything I wrote was an improvement on the things I wrote yesterday, I suppose. So I, I, I've worked really hard at it, I guess, and I'm a much, much better writer now than I would have been even three years ago. So, And yes, do you, do you also read a lot of, are you also a reader? Yeah, I am. I, I like to read. I don't have enough time to read. I actually wrote um, this morning I got up and I do the Julia Cameron morning pages, which I talk about in the book. And one of the things I wrote today was, you know, block out half an hour a day to read, even if you kind of call that work, like mm. make sure that you take it seriously and, and put that time aside. So, yeah. yeah. And what do you so, like to read? Like what is, what's your reading of choice when you get time? Well, I'm, this year I'm doing a year of Australian writing, so I'm only reading books by Australian writers, um, which has been pretty amazing. So I've been reading tons of Helen Garner, basically. And mm. I think if you want to learn about, you know, writing truthfully with clarity, she's a really good one to to read and, and to kind of study. Um, who else? Oh, I loved reading The Strays, Emily Bitto's yep. book. Yeah, um, Because she not only, not only do I love the story, but she works with my kids. So oh. um, <laughs> she's my son's boss. You're connected. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's really important to support the work of um, the people that you know and uh, local writers. So, so yeah, I love her work. So yeah. true. All right. So now you write, you create, you blog, you social media, you read. Like, what are your tips for fitting it all in? Like I like the fact that you talk about the importance uh, in your book. You talk about the importance of doing nothing. But I do wonder when you fit the nothing in with all the other <laughs> things that you do. <laughs> Maybe my version of nothing is not everyone else's version of nothing. No, you know? I, I imagine your version of nothing is actually quite busy. But anyway, <laughs> so what are you doing? Like, what are your tips to, to fit all the things in that you do? Well, I get up pretty early. So um, I often hear people saying, there's no time in my day to do the things I want to do. And I just, you know, I'm happy to get up at five o'clock in the morning and spend those really early um, morning hours getting things done or alternatively just doing stuff that makes me feel happy. So that's my really my number one tip. Get up an hour earlier. It might mean that you go to bed, um, you know, an hour earlier as well. But I just guarantee that you'll be much happier because you'll be getting that time in uh, when you're fresh as a daisy rather than, you know, late at night when you're a bit kind of exhausted. Yeah. So you get up earlier and that, that, that gives you the 25th hour in the day that you need. I feel like it does. Like I was talking to someone about it today saying I feel like I get an extra sort of day or half a day in that time between, say, 5 and 8 a.m. because no one's around and I'm twice as productive. And, yeah. you know, there's not all those distractions. So yeah. I think so even true. though, yeah, it seems like you're only getting an extra hour but you're not... You, getting a ton ton of extra um uninterrupted time so would you say that you like with your social media and things like that as I said you do have a, a you've got a terrific and very consistent author presence across a lot of different platforms and it's not just online like you're doing twitter facebook all those things but you also write regularly for Frankie I know you do a fair bit of speaking these days as well with um big-hearted business conference and pro blogger and various things has there been a strategy 
are you have you built this in a cohesive way or has this been something that has organically grown as you've gone i've i have never had a strategy and <laughs> I, I still don't have a strategy I just, I don't know, I feel like opportunities come to people that work really hard, basically. And my friend Ella says, don't work harder, work smarter. And I totally get that. But I I think working harder is what um, puts you above and beyond everyone else. So I'm always willing to go the extra mile, which sounds a bit, you know, like I'm up myself. But (laughs) it's just... It's just the way I am. Like I always think, well, how can I do this even better? Like yeah. I, th- I just feel like I want to always do the best work that I can and that is a really great way not only to be noticed but other people think, oh, wow, she's like committed and also easy to work with. I want to work with her as well. So um, it just, yeah, it's it it all there. kind of, yeah, exactly. So do you think it started like as far as your actual sort of profile and presence goes, do you think it started with your blog? Would that be where, would, would you take that back to the starting point? Yeah, I think I was lucky because not only did I have a blog, but I had the shop. So for some reason, for some people, having a business meant I had, you know, I was more legitimate than Uh, if I was only a blogger, which is to me, that makes no sense. But obviously, that's how it works out there um, in, you know, in the the big wide world. Yeah, yeah. So that gave me a bit of a push. And then people that were loving the shop, then read the blog and people that were loving the blog then came to the shop and it all I guess I had two good things going at once which mm. made it all kind of explode in an awesome way phew and where did you um where did you go with your social media stuff did you go like to, from your blog where where would you say your next step was would it have been twitter would it have been facebook like what what do you where do you like which bit of that aspect of of being an author, I suppose, do you enjoy the most as far as the social media stuff goes? Do you like Pinterest? I mean, I know you like Pinterest. Uh, I've seen you there. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I loved Pinterest, um, you know, the first year of Pinterest and then I sort of saw what it was doing to blogs and I got a bit mm. sooky and I was like, I don't like you anymore, Pinterest. And <laughs> I, I know that you can harness Pinterest to improve your blog definitely, but I just saw people approaching content in a different way. Like they were just grazing on content on Pinterest and not Mm. actually committing Mm. and going and supporting the person that created the content. So I sort of had a bit of an ethical um, dilemma really with Pinterest. I still go in there sometimes, but I just feel like it's sort of created this whole culture of just, yeah, grazing on content, not, not deep diving and not really caring about who created the content. So I try Try not to be on there too much. I know that sounds... You talk about this stuff quite a lot because I I follow you on Facebook and I I know that this is something that comes up regularly with you is this notion that blogging has changed and... And, and I agree with you because, uh, you know, mm. I've been blogging for five years as well and I've noticed the change, you know, in the whole atmosphere and community. And it's the it, I think it comes down to, I think, a conversation you had a few weeks ago regarding commenting. Like people don't comment on blogs anymore. And I think that that's part of, the, of what you're talking about with this grazing culture. People are just sort of diving through. Um, do you think that there's a way to bring back that community aspect of blogging that you know, people who blogged in the early days loved so much. Do you think that there's a way to bring that back? I think that it it comes down to people really being mindful of how they're consuming stuff online. And my feeling is, sadly, that people just cannot be bothered um, to comment or, or to sort of try and replicate the olden days. So I just feel like it's going to get more and more diluted across all the different social media platforms, which is part of why I try to 
maintain a presence that is kind of interesting and useful on lots of social platforms simply because everyone is um, kind of digesting online in their own way. So you really do have to meet them where they are now, unfortunately, mm. but also fortunately because, you know, this has meant there's all kinds of other opportunities and, you know, we've seen the rise of Instagram, which is amazing and, you know, people doing really well because of Pinterest and I think that's all great. But for a blogger like me, um, yeah, I do wish that, you know, there was lots more commenting and people were a bit more blog-centric. Mm. Um, but sadly, I don't think that's going to happen. No. <laughs> I think we're wishing for the old days. We sound like those old ladies, know. you know. <laughs> Do you do you think, like from your perspective, um, you know, as someone who has now, you know, put out five books, do you think it's essential for authors and other creative types to have the platform though? Like do you, can you imagine putting your books out into the public sphere without some kind of profile like you've got? I can't imagine doing well without the blog. I feel like people are not just buying the book, they're buying you know, the story behind the book, which it doesn't mean that they're buying me, but they're buying all the things that I like that they like too. So yes. I, I think it's such a good way to sort of expand your story. And um, I guess, you know, the book is a bonus. Like people can come to my blog and they can get free content and read all kinds of good stuff. They don't have to fork out that money if they don't want to. But, you know, if they do want to support me and they are interested in the things that I am, they often will um, decide to buy the book book. as well so and if they want a famous chicken sandwich recipe then they need to buy the book right (laughs) exactly exactly or the brownie recipe or if they want to make a pom-pom rug or you know if they want to read about what old people think about happiness or there's a whole bunch of good stuff inspiration and positivity i love it and that's very much your brand is if it's such a positive influence in the in the whole sort of internet world, I think in some ways, a nice little ray of sunshine there for us, Pip. <laughs> I try, I really try. Oh, it must be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so just before we finish up, do you have three tips for you know authors who would like to be writing the kinds of things that you're writing, that sort of craft and inspiration and creativity sort of thing? Well, I, I think definitely you need to have an online presence so that you can be talking to people regularly before they even think about buying your book. So whether that's having a blog or a really great Instagram account that, you know, you might post really wordy um, updates to, I think that is super important. The other thing that's important is to be part of the community online and offline. So interact with the people that you admire online as well as offline. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, you can't you can't do well just by yourself. It doesn't matter how awesome you are so you know be part of the community and fly the flag for other people Mm. uh, and the rest will follow if it's meant to Um, and number three I I just think that you should be making things a lot and writing a lot so you know you need to be living the kind of life that you want to write about so it's not you know you can't just sit down and write a craft book make sure that you are making good stuff and practicing your writing skills every day so that it's not that kind of dry craft book that is put flap A onto flap B, you know. <laughs> you want to write something in your own voice that people really want to read and understand. So, yes. And try. Do people actually make the – have you have you had anybody create something out of the book and send you photos of it all yet? Does any, do people do that? They do do that so, so much. With this book, um, mostly they've been cooking things and also just taking photos of the book and going, I love this book, which is <laughs> I'm so surprised. Don't so, you love that? Oh, my God. It's it's just like the most gratifying thing ever. Like when you write a book and people actually get it and they're not like, what is this pile of crap? You know? 
<laughs> I'm so relieved. Except yes, um, yesterday I actually actually went on to Goodreads. Oh, and, don't. What did and you then do I was that like, for? <laughs> no, I just quickly had a really quick look and then I went, never go there again. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Goodreads is great. I mean, I think I think it's really important to be in touch with what people are, are, um, are saying, but I think it's yeah. also it's really important to – um, have your writerly armor on sometimes. That's you know, right. When you get yeah. your first one star review, it's just like I'm a real author now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's one good thing about blogging. It really does, you know, set you up for criticism. You, you're used to those kind of snarky comments. So I think I'll be okay, but still, <laughs> you'll be okay. <laughs> Hold my nice, hand. Have a nice cup of tea and make a pom pom. You'll be totally fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been fantastic. And, um, of course, Pip's new book, Craft for the Soul, How to Get the Most Out of Your Creative Life, is out now in all good bookshops. And um, I'll be making the chicken sandwiches because I think that's pretty much all I'll be able to manage. But (laughs) I'll let you know how they go. (laughs) Godspeed to you. Godspeed. Thank you. Oh, wow, what a great-looking book. And I just love that title, Craft for the Soul. Well, it's very beautiful. And, I mean, anyone who knows me or has ever read my uh, website or blog or anything will know that I am the least crafty person in the world, except maybe for you, Val. And, (laughs) well, come on, seriously, like it's something that bonds us together, right? Um, I am not going to be crocheting or anything like that. But there's a lot of great advice and creative tips in the book that I, as a writer, I respond to. And there is also a recipe for world famous chicken sandwiches, which I am very much looking forward to trying out. Wow. Mm, So there's something for everyone. What was the last thing you crafted? Oh my God. Really? You're going to ask me that? Have you? Yep. Crocheted a blankie lately? No, no. I crocheted, (laughs) I I knitted a wombat once. Did we ever discuss that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can't believe we've never discussed that. (laughs) Okay. So I actually wrote a blog post about this because everybody was so surprised to hear it. But I, my, when I, my son, my oldest son was quite young. We were part of a Steiner play group. Oh, yes. And which was great for him. He had a great time. But one of the things with Steiner is that the the mums have to be busy too. You can't just sit around drinking tea and gossiping while the children do their thing. So when I turned up on the first day, they handed me this little kit and said, this term we're going to be knitting a wombat. Oh, my God. Are you serious? I'm so serious. So. I've never knitted in my life, so I'm sitting there like knitting this wombat. And I got so involved in knitting the wombat because, of course, it, for me, it became this challenge. Like yeah. I was like, I am going to knit this wombat. There is going to be nothing between me and the wombat, which I don't think is how the Steiner principle is supposed to work. No. But anyway, I, I created my wombat and um, it, it like I presented it to my husband <laughs> He just laughed hysterically. Did it look like a wombat? Well, no. It looked <laughs> kind of like a pig. But they don't have eyes because they're um, Steiner. They don't put eyes on toys. I, I don't know why. I can't remember. Oh, there was a, there was a rule. Weird. I know. So I, I knitted this wombat and I stuffed it and I was so proud of it. And I presented it to my son, who was about three. And he just went, oh, it's got no eyes and oh. handed it back to me. Oh. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I kept it. And, and you know, like um, – John's been wanting to throw it out for years, but I said to him, babe, I have, I will never, ever knit another wombat yeah, in my life. Yeah, that's right. 
we have to hold on to this. This is a family heirloom. Blood, sweat, and tears went into that. Yeah, so that was probably 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Maybe Mm. it's time to let it go. No. Um, No, it's probably time to do another one. What was the last thing you crafted, Valerie? Well, I don't know if I have crafted anything, but I had intentions to craft things because even though – I will get Pip's book. Um, the last craft book I purchased was uh, called Crafting with Cat Hair. Oh, I remember <laughs> this. You were collecting cat hair. I remember this. You had you had fur in a jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still have it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still and collecting. have you actually done anything with it? No, but I still have the book and I still have the cat hair. And one day, one lazy Sunday afternoon, I will Instagram my creation. So you're telling me that I should throw out my finely crafted wombat. Well, if I make but one, you're going to hang on to your cat hair because I'll make something with eyes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a low blow, Valerie. <laughs> anyway, let us move on to something very different. Our web pick for the week, and that is lastpass.com. Now, thank you to Liz who put me on to last. Pass.com because as you can imagine, like all of us, we subscribe to so many different sites, so many different, you know, membership portals, so many different everything that there are so many passwords that we need to remember. And often that's near impossible and you end up going, forgot password, forgot password, forgot password for all of these things. Or you end up doing something very silly like having the exact same password for every single account. But what lastpast.com does is that you can store it all in a secure, uh, I don't even know what it's called, place, <laughs> all of your passwords, and so that you have a single login for lastpass.com, but then it, whenever you go to the, the relevant sites, you can then choose to, do, choose to use lastpass.com without necessarily having to remember yourself and type in yourself your password. So there you go. And should you, for example, wish to share some of your passwords with your husband, perhaps, you can choose which of your passwords he can have access to when he logs into lastpass.com. Gosh. There you go. That sounds complicated. Um, Is it not complicated? It's not that complicated. It's probably, it's worthwhile though. Are we worried about hacking? Well, it assures us that if, if they are to believe, they are very secure. So, yeah, and they have a good reputation and lots of uh, businesses use them. So, because some, in businesses, you may want a certain number of people to have permissions to use a particular password, but not another group of people. So, that's where it comes in very handy. Gosh. There you go. So, it's not writing related, but um, still relevant for anyone. Very relevant. But we have a uh, question this week from Janelle. Janelle, thank you for uh, sending in your question. Um, Janelle has said, as a recent graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre Stage 1 course, uh, which was brilliant, I find your podcast invaluable for information and tips while I learn to navigate the world of freelance writing. So Janelle did the magazine and newspaper writing course. Mm -hmm. I have a question about pitching I hope you can help me with. Should I secure sources before pitching to a story to an editor? If so, do I do you have any tips on how to approach potential interviewees when you haven't yet secured the commission? Especially if you don't know you'll end up interviewing them. So basically, Janelle wants to pitch a story idea, an article idea to an editor, and she's saying, should she actually say to the editor, I've already got these great experts and case studies lined up? Your thoughts, Al. Uh, so my thoughts are always that if case studies are going to be difficult, 
um, then I line them up before I pitch the story. As in difficult to obtain, As in to difficult find. to obtain. A difficult to, yeah, because there are certain subjects that are not going to be particularly easy to get people to agree to discuss for publication purposes. Yes. And often magazines these days will require a photograph as well. Yes. So you need to, I tend to, if it's going to be a difficult subject, mm. then I try to organise my case studies in advance because there is nothing worse than trying to pull three incredibly difficult case studies out within a two-week deadline or something ridiculous like that. That's very hard. When it comes to experts, I don't worry about that so much because there will always be someone who will talk about it. Yes. Generally. You can you can line someone, you know, like there's always going to be a relevant expert because experts are um, professionals and they understand the way that the media works and so experts, you know, you can generally find at short, I mean, you know, within an hour, that's yeah. how newspapers work. Yeah. You know, they get someone to talk about subjects within an hour. Yeah. But case studies, particularly if they're going to prove difficult, um, I like to know that I've got them because you, it's very, very, you know, like, and, and, and to know that they're actually willing to be on record and photographed because there's nothing worse than having them lined up and getting ready to go and the editor saying, yes, we love that and we love those case studies and then your case study getting cold feet and going, oh, actually, you know, can I be a different name and no photograph, yeah. and, you know. Um, because it also – lining your case studies up in advance like that too also gives you an idea of how much trouble the story is going to be and whether mm. or not it's actually worth doing. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. What are your thoughts, Val? I think you're right. I think experts are very easy to get because you will always find a child psychologist. You'll always find Mm. a nutritionist. You'll Mm. always find, you know, a motor mechanic Mm. or an accountant to comment on the budget or whatever. But you're right. When it comes to case studies, if you know you'll easily get a case study, like perhaps a mother who has uh, taken their children to Montessori, Mm. that's pretty easy to get. However, if you need to find a mother who has a child at Montessori who is also a fire-breathing unicyclist. And then, knitting a wombat. W- while knitting a wombat with no eyes. Yes. You really should find and secure that person before you pitch and promise that person to the editor. That's right. I Absolutely. Yeah. So I hope that's useful, Janelle. If you have a question for us that you'd like us to answer, please do email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. In the meantime, this brings us to the end of our podcast episode this week. How what are you doing? so soon? Well, 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 you've been doing Sydney Writers Festival I'll be things. at Sydney Writers. I won't be lonely this week at all. No. Because I'm going to be at Sydney Writers Festival talking to lots of people, meeting lots of people, rubbing shoulders with lots of people and having a fabulous time. Wonderful. And you? What are you I will be heckling you from the back of, of course, the room well, at yes. the Sydney Writers Festival. Just so I don't feel lonely. Yes. <laughs> and if, for those of you who want to heckle Alison on social media, where do we find you? Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo on everything. So <laughs> oh. if... If you would like the show, (laughs) the show notes are at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd be ever so grateful because it really helps us in the rankings. Thank you for keeping us in the what's hot section. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, until next week, we'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye.